Thank you, Pastor. And I invite you to give your attention to God's word as found in the gospel according to Mark, chapter 11. Taking a break today and next Sunday from our journey through Luke to consider these themes and to ask a very real and important question. What are you doing? Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So may the Lord bless this reading of his word. As we give him praise for it. Amen. Past the point of no return. We've all been there. Whether we're taking a road trip or whether you've been flying in a plane. Last night, we spent the whole evening in Punta Gorda attempting to get our daughter and son on a plane so they could fly back to North Carolina. They never made it. So we got to bring them back home to Astero. I'm sorry, Hunter. I'm not disappointed. I'm sorry you're away from your wife and son. But there came a point there as flights were being delayed and flights were being canceled that we just decided it was best to pull them out of there as Ethan was hot and red-faced and had had all the airport that he wanted and that it was time to leave. And, of course, you know at that point, once you leave the area into which you have been admitted through security, there is no going back. The Lord Jesus came to a place where there was no return. He had turned his face, as it were, like flint toward Jerusalem, determined to go there, even though his disciples thought he shouldn't. He had told them repeatedly that the Son of Man must suffer at the hands of the Jews, be beaten and crucified and raised on the third day. He had told them often, and they simply didn't get it. And upon proclaiming this intention of his to go to Jerusalem in order that he might be the sacrifice for sins, even though he faced opposition from his own disciples and from others, he was not deterred. But make no mistake about it, while we celebrate Palm Sunday and we rightly remember the waving of the palm branches and the celebrating and the crying out of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, 
we realized that this was not really about a parade. This was not really about a celebration. It was about the fulfillment of Scripture. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It helps us to understand why things happen the way that they do. Because Mark, presumably, having received this information from Peter, as tradition tells us, Peter preached this gospel narrative at Rome and Mark faithfully took it down. So that the first audience was perhaps in Rome as they heard it and then as they read the words would have known the idea of there being a triumphal procession. They were familiar with the idea of conquering generals entering the city with great fanfare, probably riding upon a white stallion as throngs of people celebrated the victory. But opposed to that image is the Lord Jesus riding into Jerusalem to great fanfare, but not on a silver white stallion, but on a foal of a donkey on which no one had ever sat. There's so much imagery here and so much for us to try to understand. As Tim Keller has said, this odd juxtaposition demonstrates that Jesus was king, but that he didn't fit into the world's categories of kingship. He brought together majesty and meekness. Keller says one of the greatest sermons ever written and preached was by Jonathan Edwards in 1738, a sermon entitled The Excellency of Christ. In his imagining, Edwards captured the prophetic vision of Jesus' disciple John in Revelation 5, 5 through 6, where it says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. And John is told to look for a lion. But there in the midst of the throne is a lamb. We think of the choir special just a few moments ago as they beautifully sang about these two images. The lion and the lamb. Edward says, the lion excels in strength and in the majesty of his appearance and voice. The lamb excels in meekness and patience and is sacrificed for food and clothing. But we see that Christ is in the text compared to both because the diverse excellencies of both wonderfully meet in him. There is in Jesus Christ a conjunction of such really diverse excellencies as otherwise would have seemed to us utterly incompatible in the same subject. And so Edwards goes on to list in detail all the ways that Jesus combines character traits that would we would consider to be mutually exclusive. In Jesus, we find infinite majesty, yet complete humility, perfect justice, yet boundless grace. Absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission. All sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence on God. But Jesus, in Jesus, the result of these extremes of character is not mental and emotional breakdown. 
His personality is complete and beautiful and whole. So watch the mighty king ride a little donkey into Jerusalem and deal with what he finds there. I think that's helpful. I think it's helpful for us to see in this passage how that Christ is the fulfillment of all righteousness and how that he is the fulfillment of prophetic utterances made centuries before he walked on the face of the earth. That this is not just something that happened once upon a time. This was something that was planned. This was something that was deliberate. Jesus is intentionally doing what he's doing in this passage because he's not about the fanfare. He's about accomplishing his mission on earth. And he is not distracted by the crowds. He's not derailed as so many are. Years ago, I heard the story, I hope it's apocryphal, that uh, one of our PCA pastors had been asked at the last minute to fill in for somebody at a conference. Somebody got sick. I don't remember what happened, but anyway, they were desperate. So they got this guy to fill in. And he was up there on the dice with all these famous personages. And he took his turn in the rotation and he got up and preached. And on the way home that evening, he was driving the car and his wife was sitting beside him. And he said, I just wonder how many great preachers there are in the world. And his wife said, one less than you think. No, that was not me. But how many people have we seen run off the rails because of public adulation or praise? It happens to preachers a lot. It happens to politicians. It happens to media personalities. It happens to all kinds of people. Because we begin to believe our own press. We begin to think, well, maybe I really am something. And then we're in trouble. Be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. Jesus is not deterred or derailed in the slightest. He knows who he is. He knows what his mission is. And so even though on this day people are crying out loud Hosanna as they quote from Psalm 118, a Psalm of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. He knew that those same voices would be crying out for his blood before the week was out. And yet, he entered anyway, because he was determined to follow through on his purpose, which was nothing less than to achieve salvation for all who trust in him. Nothing less than that. So, he gives instructions to two of his disciples. Go into this village. You're going to find a a young donkey there. Now, we know ultimately it's two. There's a mother and foal, but... Nevertheless, the donkey is tied there. Gave them instructions. Go and tie it. If anybody says anything, tell them the Lord has need of it. And by the way, he'll return it when he's done. There was no stealing here. And so they do it. They, they go. They find the donkey. They're standing there just like they were told. And they untie it like they were told. And sure enough, there's objections. Neighbors are looking out for neighbors, right? You don't just walk into a place and... Take a donkey away. That's like taking somebody's car. Hey, what are you doing there? The Lord has need of it. Now, some people have surmised that this was all planned ahead of time, that this was a type of signal that was issued, that the people who saw the donkey knew that the Lord was going to use that donkey, and so the prearranged signal was offered. I don't know about all that. I just see two disciples doing as they were instructed. Kind of a novelty these days for people actually to do as they're told, but 
they did it. But that question weighed upon my mind this week and the week prior as I was thinking about this Sunday coming up. What are you doing? Of all the things that the Lord Jesus could have been engaged or involved in at that time, why bother with the untying of a donkey's colt? After all, they were surely bigger issues. Bigger fish to fry, use our own wording. Was there not injustice occurring at the house of government right there in Jerusalem? Should Pilate have not been confronted about his rule and reign? Should even the emperor himself not have been confronted because of injustices within the empire? Should there not have been some other activity going on? And that carries over into our own experience, does it not? Again, this past week, in wake of that horrible, violent tragedy that unfolded in Nashville, again, we heard politicians, elected officials, denigrating prayer, making fun of people who say they pray. One said, what good did your prayers do those kids who were killed? And I hear echoed in that question, what are you doing? As if what we're doing doesn't matter. As if this is just an empty religious activity on our part right now. And prayer is an empty religious activity that really doesn't affect any change. If you want to, if you want to really change something, then pass some legislation. Then take some sort of action. Stand up. Make a sign. Be in front of a television camera. That's really getting something done. Is it? Are we really wasting our time? Or are we really a part of the solution? Doing what seems menial and insignificant in the eyes of the world because we're following the Lord's instruction. I want to suggest to you that today we're talking about what Jesus did on that Sunday long ago in Jerusalem. And we care not one whit what was going on in Rome. We don't know what Pilate was doing at this hour. And frankly, we don't care because it doesn't matter. What matters is that the Lord Jesus was on mission and he entered Jerusalem and he went there to lay down his life, not as a victim. Don't you ever for a moment think that the Lord Jesus was the victim in this tragedy. He willingly gave his life. He willingly went to Jerusalem knowing that the authorities would come after him and would try him illegally. And would beat him within an inch of his life. And would crucify him on a cross until he was dead. And then they would bury him. He knew it. He laid down his life. He was not a passive victim. He was active in his obedience to the Lord. In order to accomplish for us salvation. And I'm telling you all of that again. Truth that you know. Things that you are well aware of. That are inscribed deeply within your hearts. To remind you that what he was doing matters. And don't let the world convince you otherwise. So we see that Palm Sunday is about Jesus pursuing the divine plan. A plan, yes, that would lead to his crucifixion. We, uh, we, we want to hold that in abeyance, don't we? We want to kind of hold off on that. We just kind of like would like to talk about Palm Sunday and the celebrating and the waving of the palm branches, but you can't separate any of it. 
It's like years ago, I had someone angry at me because in a Christmas message, I talked about the crucifixion. They said, no, we don't talk about that now. Of course we do. The incarnation is all about Jesus coming to be the sacrificial lamb and the lion. We can't avoid that. You you get the gospel as a whole. You can't divide it up into parts and say, well, we're going to ignore parts of it in order that we might celebrate other things. No, Palm Sunday has everything to do with the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From that time, here's one of those examples of Jesus telling his disciples. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. How did the disciples take this? Yes, Lord, whatever you say. No. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Give Peter credit. He speaks up. You don't have to wonder what he's thinking. Began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. How does Jesus deal with that? Verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. So much for winning friends and influencing people. You see, the source of that opposition, even though it arose from within the disciple band, ultimately was in hell itself. Hell always out to prevent the work of the Lord. And thus, we also need to recognize that the opposition to the things of the Lord in our day don't originate with those media personalities. As Steve Brown would say, it comes right out of the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. So when politicians denigrate prayer, we need to understand the source of it. They're simply advocating for the one they ultimately serve and worship. Yes, you heard it here. And I'm not apologizing. You need to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus. What you need to do. Jesus went on and said, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And you see, there you have it. The reason that we are tempted to think that we're wasting our time or otherwise not engaging in the solution is because our minds have become focused on people. Men and the things of men. And that's a hindrance. It is for us to see in this fulfilling of his mission That seemingly insignificant tasks are vitally important when done at the Lord's direction. Be content for the Lord to reveal what is important and what is not. We cannot serve in seeking the Lord or the world's adulation. I mean, after all, if our goal is to be popular, what point is there in that? Lots of popular people out there are espousing nonsense. Why do we want to join that chorus? We serve and worship and we proclaim the Lord Jesus because that is the solution. Yes, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. Simple instruction, but it's a part of the plan because in the bringing of that colt, Jesus was able to sit upon that colt upon which no one had ever ridden. This animal, which had not been engaged or used in any other activity 
reminding us of the way in which sacrifices of old were to be brought without blemish, without having been utilized in any other manner. The Lord Jesus, in riding on this unwritten heretofore donkey, is demonstrating his own qualification to be a sacrifice for sin. And it's of vital importance. Again, remember what we're talking about today and what we're not remembering. And so as we, uh, as we think of all that the Lord Jesus has come to accomplish and to do, we do celebrate him. Many on that day, perhaps most, if not all, were worshiping him with a lack of knowledge. They had certain expectations attached to the arrival of the Messiah. They thought that they would be liberated from their political bondage. They thought that they would be reestablished as a nation as they had been under King David. But God had a grander plan. He had something more profound to accomplish. Not the establishment of a political state, but the ushering in of the kingdom of God itself. Because as Jesus would die on that cross and be raised from the grave, something was ushered in that exceeded even their best expectations on that day. So that we, seated here now 2,000 years later, as those who believe in the Lord Jesus, we know that Christ has defeated our real enemy. We know that he has provided the solution that the human heart was crying out for. Ever since the days of Job, when Job said, though a man die, shall he live again? And now we're able to say, yes, yes, by the mercy of God, we can live again. That yes, by his grace and mercy, as we trust in him, there is everlasting life. I mean, are we really mostly concerned about government and taxes Or are we wondering what's going to happen when we breathe our last and our earthly remains are committed to the ground? Jesus has achieved what was really needed. I'll take that any day. So it's good and glorifying to God and in keeping with his will to praise and adore Jesus. As Luke tells us, and we'll get there eventually in our study of that, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were to be silent, the very stones would cry out. Don't ever make it necessary for a rock to take your place. You say, well, preacher, you hadn't heard me sing. I don't need to. Worship the Lord Jesus. Adore the Lord Jesus. Sing praises to his name. He's worthy of all praise. Jesus did not rebuke those who were worshiping him. He could have said, hey, listen, you all be quiet. You're, you're speaking out of ignorance. He accepted their praise and worship. And so we must offer it to him. The Lord's own anointing who has come to redeem us. God himself adores his son. Hebrews 1 verse 8. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So when we worship and adore the Lord Jesus Christ, we're joining together even with the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit and the angelic hosts who are crying out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and honor and glory and riches and might. It is a good thing that we worship the Lord Jesus Christ and it matters. 
Because in all eternity, thousands and millions of years from now, though time will be no more. All of that's just hyperbole. When time goes away and we're in eternity, we're not going to think in terms of months and days and years. I'm not going to need a watch. We're not going to need a calendar. But proverbially speaking, in the ages to come, we'll be rejoicing and singing and declaring the praises of the one who gave his life for us. And so it is altogether fitting that we engage in that activity now. That we bow before the Lord Jesus Christ in the here and now. That we acknowledge him to be the king in the present. That we may engage in the worship of him in eternity. He came to Jerusalem meek and lowly. The only real character traits that Jesus ever draws attention to in the course of his life is the fact that he is meek and lowly. And that any of us can come to him. People in Rome, as they saw a general walking or going by on a great white stallion, they couldn't have hoped to have gotten close to him or have asked any favor or to have expected anything from that individual. And yet Jesus comes and says, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't have to have standing. I don't have to be one of the elite. What I need is a humble heart and in repentance. Turn to him and be assured that he will receive me. Just as he promised. That's the king that we have. The one that we proclaim to the world. And that's why we celebrate. On this Palm Sunday. Yes, indeed. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because the one who has come in the name of the Lord. He is the Lord. May he be worshipped and adored and magnified throughout all ages and for eternity to come. And I pray that you are in that number. As we join together, just as unworthy as I am, and yet, by grace, finding ourselves before the one who is altogether lovely and beautiful. As we cry out, Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we bless your name and we give you praise that we have a Savior that exceeds all expectations, who has come to accomplish so much more than our poor, pitiful human minds could have ever conceived. We could not have written this story. It has been revealed to us from heaven itself. And we thank you, gracious Father, that on this day of trouble, in light of killings and sex trafficking and the taking of the lives of children in the womb and in schools, as war and famine and pestilence break the land, We thank you, O Father, that you've provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ a real and actual remedy. Bless us, O Father, to know your Son, and that through us he may be made known to the whole world. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to return to something we sang just a little bit ago as we continue worshiping him with hosannas. Stand together. Take that song sheet if you would, and it's the Hosanna side, the last paragraph. Lift up your heads to the coming King.
And so may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.